You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our weekly AIB Market Update on Tuesday the 15th of September. I'm Paul Ward from our Customer Treasury Unit and I'm joined this week by AIB's Chief Economist Oliver Mangan to discuss recent financial market developments and we'll give particular attention to the Irish GDP data and we'll review the recent decline in sterling against the euro. Morning Ollie. Good morning. Uh, Irish GDP has been widely forecast to fall between 7 and 10% this year, which is broadly in line with the Eurozone and the UK. However, the national accounts published for Q2 point to a much smaller decline in Irish GDP. Can you give us your thoughts on the latest Irish GDP data? Yeah, the, the data were released last week for the second quarter of the year, and we'd already had figures out of the Eurozone in the UK. So, you know, there was a major lockdown of the economies to try and control the spread of the coronavirus here and elsewhere. And that lockdown saw Eurozone GDP contract by nearly 12% and over 20% fall in UK GDP for quarter two. Now, a similar decline happened in anticipated in Ireland because of the, I suppose, the extent and the duration of the lockdown here. It was quite broad across the economy yeah. and lasted a long period of time. But in the end, um, the figures show that Irish GDP just declined by 6.1% in the quarter, and that came after 2.1% in the first quarter. So obviously the, the economy went into recession. That's a very big drop in GDP. But it's nothing like as large as was expected uh, or anything on the scale of what we've seen in the rest of Europe. Why is that, Ali? Well, when you break down the figures, certainly the domestic economy, and this will not come as news to anybody, contracted very sharply. We have this what we call modified final domestic demand, which excludes the activities of the multinational sector. And it contracted by 16.5% in the quarter. So that's halfway between the decline of the Eurozone uh, and the UK. Uh, and within that, we saw a 20% fall in consumer spending and a 28% decline in uh, domestic fixed investment. But on the other hand, uh, exports actually performed much stronger than, than, than anticipated. And uh, in particular sectors re- registered very, very strong performances. I mean, fr- Exports from the pharmaceutical sector were up by nearly 30% in the first half of the year really? from year area levels. And computer services were up by 10%, uh, again, uh, in the first half of the year, relative to the same period in 2019. Is that why then in the, in the weekly comment you refer to split personality? You're making that yes. reference there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and if you think about it, um, if you look at what's been happening in Wall Street this year, a very strong rebound in the stock market. It has been led by pharmaceutical companies and mm. computer companies. I mean, some sectors do do well in recessions, and we just happen to have a very favourable mix uh, of export industries here. Now, I'd have to say, looking across the sectors and the data published, most exports actually held up pretty well. Now, there are obviously exceptions. Tourism, travel, and transport got absolutely hammered. Yeah. Um, and again, that is no surprise given the lockdown and how badly affected they were. But we know exports are a large part of the economy here. So uh, as a result of the strength of those exports, instead of declining, let's say, by 16% or 20%, uh, the Irish economy only contracted by 6% in quarter two. Uh, and so what that does is set us up for a much smaller decline in GDP here for 2020 than elsewhere. I mean, the forecasts that have been published up to now have been that Irish GDP or output will contract by between 7 and 10% this year, broadly in line with the Eurozone or the US or the UK. But now it's going to be much smaller than that. Um, not only have we 
you know, the, the smaller decline than anticipated in the, in the first half of the year. But it's likely that exports will continue to perform well in the second half of the year, given the, the export mix we have here. And in terms of the domestic economy, we, we already know that parts are starting to recover. I mean, we have retail sales data for July. And when we look at retail sales, excluding the motor trade, they've actually rebounded quite strongly in June and July. So by July, they're actually, um, they were above their pre-COVID levels. That's the levels that they were in, yeah. in um, January and February. They were 20% higher than quarter two, uh, when yeah. the economy was locked down, and 6% higher than a year earlier. So, I mean, there's a question whether that strength we sustained, but they certainly rebounded. And then you look at other indicators. Uh, again, last week, we have the covid adjusted unemployment rate that got as high as 28 29 in april and may that actually has fallen to 15 by august as the economy reopened uh we're looking at tax receipts holding up better than expected again largely driven by the strength of corporation tax receipts and to a less extent income tax receipts and a lot of that is certainly the corporation tax side is reflecting the strength of those exports and on the housing market again activity contracted uh in quarter two, and that the house building sector was locked down for six weeks. It was one of the first sectors to reopen, but there again we're seeing a rebound in output, and also um, those expectations that we could see quite sharp house price declines. But both here and indeed in the UK, uh, house prices are holding up better than expected. There is an underlying shortage in both markets, and that still seems to be the overriding consideration. Now, having said all that, you know, yeah. the, the domestic economy has gone through a hell of a shock in the first yeah. half of the year, and it is going to take some time to recover. And sectors like hospitality and travel, travel continue yeah. to be very badly impacted by the social distancing measures. Yeah. And we have, you know, there's considerable uncertainty out there about what's coming down the tracks in terms of the economic outlook, both here and abroad. The virus has proven more persistent than anticipated. There's talks of, so, you know, some countries have reintroduced Israel, lockdowns. Israel went back into full lockdown. Yep, the yep. So yeah. uh, that remains the backdrop. And when you look at consumer confidence, for example, it has still a long, long way below where it was at the start yeah, of the yeah. year. A very modest rise in consumer confidence uh, over the summer, uh, suggesting you know a lot of uncertainty out there. Uh, and people concerned about the outlook. So, you know, these are better than anticipated figures. The strength is in the export side. There's no doubt that the domestic side has taken a major hit. And, you know, some sectors are going to take a lot longer to recover than others. I mean, when you listen to the central banks, they're talking about, you know, being well into 2022 before economies have recovered from the very deep recession first half of the year. Now, one of the reasons for that is, I mean, Obviously, progress has been made in terms of developing a vaccine, but it may well be the second half of next year before we see a vaccine uh, come onto the market. Yeah. And then, you know, it's going to take some time for that to impact in terms of activity. So you're into 2022. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. And then, look, uh, Ali, if we just throw Brexit in on top of that kind of um, mix. mix, exactly, yeah. and especially given the developments over the past week or so, there could be even more uncertainty for the Irish economy and for financial markets. Um, so just maybe if we can just move the conversation to Brexit, like in terms of euro sterling, three four percent move last week. Uh, should we be getting nervous at these levels? Well, I think we did a podcast two or three weeks ago, and we remarked sterling was. I think you know the euro had fallen back to eighty eight to eighty nine p, and we're saying there's very little upside here for sterling. Uh, there's very little bad news pricing, and there could be a lot of downside. And as you say, it's moved very sharply in the last week, in particular. Do you think it's hanging by a string? Uh, well, I think uh, what we said three weeks ago is 
very little upside, a lot of downside. Now we're moving back towards 93. Let's see if we get to 93, 94p. Yeah. Well, then you're tossing a coin. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to predict the outcome of the negotiations. If yeah. we get a trade deal, we yeah. go back to 87. If we don't, we go to parity. Well, then can I ask you one question? So we've been we've tested the 93, 94 on a few yeah. occasions over the last couple of years. Does that not tell you, though, that to a certain extent that the market is probably reluctant to let it go beyond that? So I'm, I'll give you a simple example. Let's say there's a complete collapse in the trade talks. Then, of course, we would expect to maybe go more towards parity. Yeah. But if that if that is not to happen, then is kind of 93, 94 probably the top end of where we're likely to see? Or what do you think? Yeah, that, that provides major support for the currency. Even if we go back to last year, right? Uh, this time last year, the currency thing was around 93p. Uh, and there was pessimism at the time that we could get a withdrawal agreement done in the second half of the year and that we could be heading for a hard Brexit uh, in December. In the end, you know, quite rapidly, uh, promises made in the negotiations. And we got a withdrawal agreement signed off in October and Sterling rallied very strongly. So that support level is there from last year. So I think the markets have moved over the last week to discount an increasing risk of a no-deal Brexit. Um, mm. As you said, to take it much higher for 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 the euro to go up to let's say ninety six, ninety seven on towards parity, we I think have to see a collapse in the yeah. uh, in the talks. In the talks, but that remains a real possibility. Now, it's it's, it's very hard to read the mind of what's going on uh, in terms of the UK. Is, I mean, uh, very interesting last week. I mean, the the, the 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 disagreement is around state aid rules, and the UK wants to have full discretion in terms of setting the state aid rules, uh, in with. And doesn't want to have any, uh, I suppose, influence of the EU or any agreement with the EU in that regard. Yeah. Yet last week, the UK and Japan struck a trade deal, and Japan insisted that there had to be rules around state aid. Countries don't want you to give access you access to the markets, and then find that you can subsidise their industries and in, undercut their domestic um, industries. So they're very keen to have some controls around state aid rules, and the UK actually took the template that was there. In terms of state aid rules, and the in the trade deal they're having negotiated between Japan and the EU, and the UK adopted that as its template. So it, it has agreed to rules around state aids in a trade deal with the Japan last week, and it flatly refuses to have any such uh, compromise or uh, position in place in a trade deal with the EU. So there's a complete contradiction in trade negotiations. And, and, and are they even tougher restrictions the one between the UK and, and Japan compared to Europe? No, it's the same. Okay, it's the same. Okay. It's, sorry. Okay. The, what, the, the restrictions around state aid rules were yeah. agreed in a trade deal between Japan and the EU some time ago. Right. The UK has taken those exact, the, the, the exact That's same, same. Okay. Trade, <laughs> state aid rules that have been written in to the E. That to the UK Japanese trade deal last week. So why can't we have these trade yeah. uh, these rules around state aid into the uh, trade deal to the EU and the UK? And that is the major hurdle to be overcome. And the, I, I think things like fisheries can be resolved very quickly. So, um, so this this contradiction in the two positions must be causing concerns within the UK government. It is. So, it has yeah. been roused over the weekend about yeah. it, and, okay. uh, and you know it is completely contradictory. Yeah. But we just have to wait and see. I mean, we can't really read the minds of. Boris Johnson and the UK negotiators. Do they want a deal? Do they not? Yeah. Are they holding out? Are they playing tough to try and get a good deal? We simply don't know. So uh, what I'm saying now, at these sort of levels, we would probably see uh, a major move in sterling uh, 
in the in the next couple of months, it could be a sharp move down or it could be a sharp move yeah. up, okay. uh, and it's very hard to call that. Very good, Ollie. But let's move on just very quickly then to the economic <coughs> calendar. Uh, it's busy enough this week, a little bit like maybe on the euro front, but there is two central bank meetings this week in terms of Bank of England and the Fed. Can we expect any policy changes, or is there any event risk for the currency, whether it's sterling or dollar? No, I mean, we obviously had the ECB meeting last week as well. So, I mean, the, the, the reality is that the central banks moved uh, in quarter two in particular and early part of summer in terms of a lot of policy easing. Uh, <clears throat> both the Bank of England and the ECB, actually the Bank of England, the Fed, which made this week cut rates, they have in place substantial quantitative easing programs. So, <clears throat> you know, they have made their call uh, in terms of our, put their policy in place to counteract the downturn activity and try to generate a strong economic recovery. So I think they're in wait and see mode um, and we don't expect any policy changes this week. I say, but remember that, that their, their QE programs are ongoing. They're in the markets every week, buying substantial amounts of uh, government bonds and other bonds, yeah. providing liquidity. They have cut rates to virtually zero in the UK and in um, the US. Uh, there will be some interest, I think, in the UK in terms of the, the, the current base rate is 0.1%. Uh, whether uh, the markets are looking for rates to go to zero, that's another 10 basis points of cut. Uh, we'll see whether there's any hint in that direction uh, from the comments of the Bank of England uh, on Thursday. In terms of the Fed, I think people will be looking for them to sketch out this new policy framework where they're putting more emphasis on employment and less emphasis on inflation in terms of setting monetary policy. So... Uh, there might be an indication in terms of how high they'd be prepared to allow inflation to rise before they'll have to move on, uh, let's say, interest rates. So I think it's more maybe an indications uh, around those two issues rather than a fundamental change in policy that yeah. we're likely to get. Okay, because I know from the European Central Bank meeting last week, there was, there was a little bit of event risk and the euro, we actually appreciated on the back of it, but then very quickly gave up its gains yeah. against the dollar. Yeah. Um, okay. But for sterling, I mean, Brexit is front and centre. Yeah. And okay. for the dollar... You know, the Fed has made that major policy announcement now. It is is a major shift in their policy framework. So that's done. So I think it's sketching the details out on that is what we're going to get this week. Were you surprised last week, though, that the ECB didn't really mention anything about the valuation of the euro? Well, the central banks are usually very reluctant to comment on currencies. Yeah. Uh, They don't target currencies. Uh, We haven't seen central bank intervention, I'd say, for a couple of decades in currency markets. So, uh, and their only concern about currencies is, uh, will currency booms make it harder to achieve our inflation targets, for example? So we have the Eurozone, we now have negative inflation, a rising euro uh, lowers the cost of imports, it makes it more difficult for inflation to rise back above up to 2%. So indirectly it impacts, but traditionally central banks stay well clear of commenting on currencies and currency markets. Okay. Uh, and it's not a policy objective for them. That's fair enough. Uh, okay, Ollie, many thanks for the update and a big thanks to our customers, colleagues and listeners for joining us on this week's podcast. To stay up to date with the latest markets developments, please subscribe to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. And for those customers impacted by the pandemic, you can find details at AIB support packages at www.aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Many thanks. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC.
Authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC. Authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.